I just wanted to, uh, before we jump in the Word, you guys ready to jump in the Word? Uh, one of the things that um, I told you at the beginning of the series is that uh, I was going to be releasing the gifts uh, that God has given us uh, to you all. How many like gifts? Only 25 people like gifts. How many guys like gifts? And so, you know, so, so much of today, um, I'm just telling you, um, we're so focused, and I, and I love the prophetic, I love healing, I love the gifts of the Spirit, but one of the things that we have to understand is God is more, listen, He's more interested in the gift in you. He's more interested in the gift of people. And one of the things that God has put on my heart is to release the gift of God in your life. God want, Listen, God wants to release the gifts that he's deposited in your life. And he says in 2 Timothy, verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, Therefore, I remind you, he's talking to his son Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now listen, you might not have gotten the gift of God through my hands, but listen, I'm responsible as your pastor to see that gift released because you're committed to this body and to this family. That's a responsibility that I carry. And that starts, listen, that starts with our staff. That starts with our congregation, the people that God is bringing us. And so I am so excited uh, this morning uh, to release another gift. Uh, this person, you know, she's been here a very, very long time and uh, has never spoken an entire Sunday. She's done some tag team while I've been here. Um, but if there's anybody I believe that deserves uh, the pulpit this morning, uh, it's uh, Pastor Jesse Armstrong. And so, well, you guys, yeah, you guys are excited. So, Pastor Jesse, Thank let's dive you. in. Well, two things. First of all, we are very blessed to have Pastor Dean as our pastor. We say yes, thank you. Uh, I just want to say personally thank you for allowing God to use you. And that's all I'll say about there's lots more to that, but thank you very much. Secondly, I like chocolate cream pie. Okay? So do we got, thank you, Tony, right there. We got some chocolate cream pie in the house. So um, I'm excited for August 5th. Also, it's my son's birthday, and every other year we do birthday parties, and this is the off year. And so he has decided that this, the picnic is going to be his birthday party. So he gets an extra birthday party. So my character that I have chosen is somebody that all my life, or most of my life, people have said, you are similar to this person. And so I, when I thought about it for a second, and it just popped in my head, and that is Joseph. And so we have a couple things in, in common. One is that Joseph and I are the younger children. And it's not just that we're the, the youngest a sibling, like it's a couple years apart, but we have siblings that are much older than us. So I have a sibling that's, I'm, well, I won't tell you my age, but they're much older. And so um, what happens is, how many younger siblings in the house do we have like that? Okay, so I think I'm going to identify you with you when I tell you that growing up every Christmas, Thanksgiving, whenever we got together, we'd sit at the table and I would hear this without a doubt. Well, I never got that when I was a kid. Well, you got that and I didn't. Well, you're the favorite child. Well, you got, you got to go to bed whenever you wanted to. Or Dad didn't care what you did. It doesn't matter. Like, we could be passing the roles. And my sister would say, oh, well, I didn't get roles when I was your age, you know. So that was the younger, how many younger children, you guys get me? Yes, okay. So older children, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Um, we are favored. We didn't do anything to, like, make our parents do that, right? And so Joseph and I were the younger children, and I grew up being the favorite. I'm just going to say it, okay? So Joseph was the favorite child, and, and so his father preferred him. His father gave him a beautiful um, multicolored coat. You read that in the story. And by the way, if you've never read the story of Joseph, I highly encourage you this week, it's only a couple chapters, go dig into the story of Joseph. I won't even cover all of Joseph in this message. There's no way. And so I encourage you really this week to sit down, read all of that story. I guarantee you God is going to speak to you about something in the story. And so we see Joseph as a favorite child. He gets the multicolored coat. He gets all these things. And the older kids, they know it, right? And it's not just a funny thing. They're getting pretty ticked about how much he's favored. 
And then Joseph does something that I wouldn't suggest all younger children do. Um, but Joseph went to his brothers and said, hey, I had a dream. I had a couple dreams. And in those dreams, um, it turns out you are going to bow to me. Okay? Older siblings, how would you feel about that? I know, not good, right? And so um, this is where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 37, 20 through 28. It says, so, so Joseph, he has told his brothers, they get mad, okay? So it says in Genesis 23 through 28, um, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from the Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? That's so nice of him. Uh, we'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were the Midnight traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold, them for 20, sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. A couple things about this scene. First, if they point out that he was stripped of his robe. The robe signifies it. It characterizes the confidence that his father had, give him, had given him. See, Joseph's father believed in him so much that he gave him this beautiful robe. So the brothers, when they pulled that robe off, they were pulling his dignity that his father had given him. Then he was thrown into a cistern with no water, no chance of life. So they were, they were giving him a life, putting him in that cistern, hoping he would die. And not only that, hoping that nobody would come by. Then, to extend compassion to Joseph, they said, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's grab him out and sell him as a slave. I'm not sure which one is worse. So this is where Joseph comes. And so I want to, this is Joseph right here. That pit is what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you, God. Because as we're going to talk about, you will never just leave us in the pit with no water. God, you are surrounding us at all times. Jesus, you have paved a way. So, God, I pray that as we speak about your goodness today, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear what you want us to hear, God. Be with us in this message today. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message, I remembered a video that I saw a couple months back. You guys remember the Santa Rosa fires, unfortunately. They devastated many, many cities, people. And so there was this video of these firefighters that traveled from Berkeley all the way to Santa Rosa. It was a fascinating video. It talked about how um, they were going to get to Santa Rosa and work on the area. It's a very long video, but there was a part of it that caught me. And they talked about the line of sorrow. And let's go ahead and watch the video now. So that line of sorrow, many of us are on the charred side. And that's what we want to talk about today. It's that in the pit, it's Joseph's life that began. He was on the other side of that line. 
I was struck by how this is the analogy of our lives sometimes, and that when we come across that line of sorrow, we have to rebuild. It's that concept of bouncing back from hardship. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That bouncing back is actually called, the name for it is resilience, okay? And so resilience, I know a little bit about resilience. Some of you know that I finished my uh, master's this last, a couple months ago, and my uh, thesis was on resilience. It was 45 pages. So I'm just going to go ahead and read those 45 pages to you today. <laughs> it's only going to take me two hours. You guys are fine. Um, so... I studied resi- resilience a lot, and one of the things that came out of resilience that I learned was that um, the way that we have come to know resilience, psychology, the field of psychology, is a lot about children. And so they took children that have experienced extreme trauma, stress, um, hardship in their life, and they began to study them. And they found that what these kids were getting was a lot of resilience. So they found the more hardship children had, the more resilience they would have later in life, which makes sense. And so to have resilience, you have to have hardship, okay? Um, Now, the other thing that they did was um, in the beginning of last century, a lot of psychology was based on um, the fixing broken people, okay? So if you're broken, they want to know how to fix you, what's wrong with you, diagnosing you. And then in just the last 40 years, they changed to positive psychology. Okay, I know this might be boring to all of you, but hold on. Um, They changed to positive psychology. So it wasn't about diagnosing um, hurt people, but it was about helping hurt people to be healthy. And so it switched from um, making kids who are trauma and saying this is what's wrong with them, they're damaged, they won't ever succeed, to saying how can we help these people succeed later on in life. And so a lot of the stuff that we know about resilience is from that switch in thinking. How can we help people be healthy in their adversity? Now, here's the thing. Uh, Psychology knows a lot, right? God gives us science. He can help us um, study things and figure it out. But there's one thing that all these psychologists don't have. That is the God factor, okay? And so today, we're going to take Joseph and resilience, and we're going to talk about the God factor and all of that and how Joseph can show us to have godly resilience, okay? Are you guys ready? Yes, so I want to read Micah 7, 7 through 8 real quick. And it says, as for me, I look to the Lord for help. I wait confidently for God to save me. And my God will certainly hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemies, for though I fall, I will rise again. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Amen. We're going to talk about the three O's of resilience. The first is opportunity. We have to see the opportunity hidden in adversity. So some of us will naturally have this ability. You've met them. They're probably morning people, okay? So you, you have an adversity. You know, you, my, my tire, it's, you know, it's um, blowed, blown out. And they'll just go, oh, that's no, no problem. We'll just go down here. We'll take care of it. And sometimes those people, you know, although they're very positive, you're like, wait, hold on. I just, you know, commiserate with me for a second. But then there's the other people who will call the Debbie Downers, okay? So, right, you know them. So they come to you and they say, "Um, I've got this problem. I don't know what to do with it. I can't fix it. And then you'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry for that. And how about you try this? And they'll be like, oh, but I can't because of this and this. And then you'll say, well, what about this? You could try this. And no, because this is wrong and nothing's going to be okay. You know, have you guys met those people? They're tiring, right? So we have to find the opportunity that's hidden in adversity. You have to have a hope. That's that hope that something is going to be better. And if we believe in Christ, we have a hope that, no, that is unstoppable. And then we have to have a realistic optimism. And that goes to that, like, not everything is roses, okay? Some stuff is not easy, and that's okay, so you have to have a, ho- a hope and a realistic optimism, optimism to set you up for longevity during adversity. It's that belief that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that there is purpose in this struggle, and that somehow when this is all said and done, I am going to be better for it all. And in Philippians 1, 6, it says, And I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue his work till he is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. 
Hallelujah. God is doing a good work in you. And I hope that any of you today that are struggling with that idea that there is nothing good in you, you can bank on the Bible that God is for sure doing a good work in you. And that is a hope that you can count on. And Joseph is a perfect example of this sort of unwillingness to surrender to the pressure. Now, a little side note. Resilience is not stubbornness. Now, those that know me well, I'm a little stubborn, okay? I can make things happen. I can survive through things. I'm a scrapper. I've been told all these things. I'm a little stubborn. But what struck me in all of my research was that resilience is not stubbornness. Okay, so lots of hurting people survive their whole life hurting. That's not resilience. That's stubbornness. Resilience is specifically bouncing back from your adversity. It's that ability to say, this is my struggle now, but what I'm going to do is take this struggle, and I'm going to trust that God is doing a good work in me, and when this is all done, I'm going to be better for it. Okay? So it's not stubbornness. Joseph, again, perfect example, because what happens is that he goes through all these struggles. And again, if you read the story, um, you see that Joseph, uh, he goes, he gets sold into slavery, and he takes that position, and he does good with it. And then he goes to this, uh, he goes into prison, and he does good with it. Let me read you the scriptures. It says in Genesis 39-2, the Lord was with Joseph. This is when he was, uh, as a slave, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And then we go to when he was in prison. It says in Genesis 39, 21, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused him, caused everything he did to succeed. Finally, he was Pharaoh's right hand. And this is my favorite. It says, Joseph's suggestions were well-received by Pharaoh and his officials, which any person can do. They can be a very successful person in business or your field of study. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? How many of you people are saying that about you in your adversity? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dream to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. This is adversity, people. See, Joseph, he went from being thrown away and forgotten to being the highest rank in his land. This, and the Bible is not just about fake stories. These are examples for us. He is a divine mem- mentor. So if Joseph can do it, so can you. People can say, who is that Holy Spirit inside of you? So a couple gifts that we can find in adversity. The first is the treasure of time when living in anonymity or solitude. There's going to be times in your life when you will be remain unhidden or unseen and possibly even forgotten. This is definitely Joseph. See, his first experience was that he was thrown into a cistern with no water. It wasn't like anybody would come to find him because there was no water in it. It was empty. And then he went to be a slave, and nobody would care about slaves. And then when he was unjustly accused, he went to prison where nobody cares about prisoners. See, Joseph lived not just in adversity, but he lived in anonymity. And even more so, Joseph, remember, he started out as the favored son. Right? Life was good. It was perfect. And then he's forgotten. And no doubt, many of us have experienced that in our life. So Alicia Brick Cole, she writes a book called Anonymous. It's a great book. If any of you feel like you're traveling through this season, again, it's called Anonymous, really simple, Alicia Brick Cole. But she says, in seasons of hiddenness, our sense of value is disrupted 
uh, stripped of what others affirmed us to be in this season, God intends to give us an unshakable identity in him that no amount of adoration nor rejection can alter. Okay, and if there's one thing I want you to know about me, it's that my identity is in Christ and nothing can change that. Not the biggest mountain, not the most solid rock, because my God is my identity and he is more bigger than any mountain could ever move. Amen. And so in that anonymity, I have had times where I felt like I am in the depths and that nobody can see me, that nobody hears me. And my mind starts to play games on me like my husband doesn't even see me. He doesn't even care. When in reality, all these people are surrounding me saying, I am here to help you. But what happens is you get in these moments And you start to let your mind tell you things. You start to let the enemy tell you things. But what God wants to say is that I am in the deepest part with you. I will go down however low you go. And I will meet you there. And I will not let you fail. I will not leave you alone. And it is in those moments that you have to see the gift of being alone. Because what happens is there's nothing else around you. There's nobody to tell you anything different than what God wants to tell you. And so it is a sweet moment. If you can capture it and get your head into the right place, you can start to hear God like you've never heard him before. You can start to see visions that you've never seen before because he is in that depth. And then believe me, when you start to rise out of that depth, you will be stronger You will be more knowing. You will have God's power resting upon you because he has promised you that he will be there in those depths. It is in those moments that I discovered one of the most um, powerful things for me. And and, and I'll just be honest, I was sitting at my desk and there was something happening around me and I was going through a really hard time and, and I was just feeling really pitiful, all right? You guys ever feel like that? You just feel like super pitiful. And I, and I was just like, man, Lord, why this and why that? And the Lord said, um, hold on a second. I want you to start saying you are, okay? Because what happens is when I start saying to the Lord, you are perfect. You are faithful. You will never leave me. You are omnipotent. You are all-knowing. You are all-powerful. You are perfect. You are glorious. You are majestic. You are my king. You are my God. You are everything that I need to have. I don't need anything else. You are. What happens is you start to get the focus off yourself and start to put it on the king, okay? And when you do that, you start to see the heavenly realm, and God starts to reveal things to you. And I will tell you in that moment when I said, God, you are and not me, he started speaking to me some promises that I had forgotten. And then all of a sudden, that pitifulness walked right out the door, and it changed my course forever. The next gift that you um, need to find is, uh, the, it's the forging of our character, okay? So if, again, read the story. I'm going to say this over and over again, but go home and read the story. So um, Joseph is in uh, Potiphar's house. That's his master, and he's serving well. He's um, doing all these things in anonymity, and then there's a lady, okay? Why does it always got to be the lady, you know what I'm saying? But there's a lady, it's Potiphar's wife, and she starts to tempt him, right? And it's not just like little tempting. I mean, she really goes after him. She wants to bring down Joseph and use him for her own needs, okay? And so Joseph encounters this. Now, he could have, remember, he's in a moment, nobody's going to see him. Nobody cares. And really, he could say, I'm obeying my master, But instead, Joseph, he runs. He runs from there. And in his running, trying to run away from sin, he is wrongly accused. But yet Joseph still continues to be a man of character to the point that it sends him to prison. And see, here's the thing about developing character. It takes practice, okay? So it's like, um, how many of you are trying to eat good? It's a lifetime struggle, right? 
Man, there is not enough, like, there needs to be a fast food place that sells healthy stuff, right? So it's like when you're eating healthy, you know, it's that falling off the wagon, right? I'm eating so good salad every day, every night. I'm not eating any sugar. And then the next day you wake up and there's the brownies sitting on the stove and you're like, I got to have that brownie, right? Nobody's around. Nobody's going to see you. I... I mean, come on, I deserve it, right? And so you take that brownie, and then everything you've done, every bite of lettuce you've stuffed down your throat, <laughs> forget it. You have now fallen off the wagon. You have lost all your confidence, and you're going to say, next Monday, I will start over, okay? <laughs> like that's never happened to me. So um, what you, when you are building your, um, your character, it takes practice. And so I want to encourage you guys, it starts in the small things. And I know that, that we talk about a lot like this to kids a lot, like you got to build your character, you got to do all that. But it starts in the small things even for adults. And maybe it's at work. Maybe you are being treated so harshly and so unkindly, and it would be your right to do something wrong. But I guarantee you, if you choose the right thing, the godly thing, what happens inside of you is bigger and greater than anything that's happening on the outside. Start with the small, and you will grow in character more and more. I guarantee you. It's like um, kids, right? So the next thing is uh, direction. That's the other gift that you can find in adversity. Now, this one's kind of weird because you would think that staying in the adversity, the number one direction is to get out of it. But that's not true. Sometimes God wants to, st to stay in adversity. And check this out. So Joseph, he gets um, thrown in the cistern because Judah, he's told Judah all of these um, dreams about them bowing to him. So Judah doesn't like that. That's his brother. And he goes and he throws him in the pit. Judah just sealed Joseph's destiny. Judah led Joseph to be one of the highest positions in the land. See, sometimes our adversity directs our destiny. Sometimes in our adversity, there are things that are going to happen that we would have never done on our own. See, sometimes you are going through something that you shouldn't be. And that adversity is going to get you out of it right away. Okay? So sometimes when we are in that moment, we got to ask, God, what is you, are you trying to do? Are you trying to move me a certain way through this adversity? And that this could be closed doors, this could be all kinds of things. But adversity could direct your destiny. It's like my children, um, sometimes they don't do what I want them to do. We just did um, the, uh, a parenting class, and they said, you know, you have to learn not to control your children. And my comment was like, okay, get it, but like, how do I control my children without controlling them? That's what I want to know, okay? Because um, I want to control them. But the fact is, they're going to go through a lot of adversity in life. And we just got to watch them. I mean, we're going to be there to support them, to let them. But is it not, parents, the hardest thing to watch your child struggle? I have, my kids are getting in older elementary years. There's a lot of um, hard words that are said, a lot of things that don't make them very happy. And they come home and, and they just are so upset. And I really want to go and punch those little kids that have called my kid a wrong name, right? Right? Okay? That's what you want to do. But I got to stop myself because number one, it's illegal. Number two, <laughs> what my kids need is for me to encourage them and love them and tell them that, hey, I got you here. I am going to be here for whatever you need. But this is something that you have got to go through. And in this, God is going to lead you. Maybe he's going to lead you to new friends. Maybe he's going to lead you to a new place, but I know that God's got you. Okay, so that's the first O. That's finding opportunity and adversity. Number two is connection, is, is connection with others that helps heal the brokenness of adversity. So connection with others helps heal the brokenness of adversity. I have a really good friend who has a son, and they adopted him at six months old. And it's a very sad story. He, um, they, the police found him outside of a, a store. He was completely sunburned from head to toe. His diaper was soiled for several days. And so they found him sitting outside of a Target. And my good friend, she, they decided they wanted to adopt some children, and this boy came to their home. And so she had this task before her. 
Because what happened with this boy is that in the first six months of his life, he had no connection. His mom didn't care. She just neglected him for, because of her own dysfunction. And so what this, my friend, has done is absolutely the, one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ. Because she loved that child back to a healthy place of connection. And it wasn't what you would normally do with her children. She would actually have to take that child, sit him on her lap, and hold him there even though he didn't want to. But this is what studies have found is that in children who lacked connection, especially in the youngest years of their life, they will find themselves later on in life lacking many social and uh, just normal functions, okay? That connection early in life is one of the most important things. And I would suggest to you that it's not just important in earlier in the life, it's important for the rest of your life, right? We talk a lot about this, community here at Real Life Church. Some of you are probably like, I don't want to hear that again, okay? But I'm, we're going to keep talking about it because community is one of the most important ways to get through adversity. It's what you need in your life. In fact, um, Joseph found connection. Uh, with each time, there were people that he found to help him in his place of adversity, but one of my favorite moments is at the end when the brothers come back, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, but the brothers come back, and Pharaoh, his boss, right, who, his boss who's not even the same ethnicity, and, and but Pharaoh's rose to power. Pharaoh who seems like, does Pharaoh even care? But the, the Bible says the news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt, and you will eat from the best that the land produces. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Oh, man, I want some friends like that. I want some friends that are going to say, I will celebrate with you. I will be with you. I'm going to give you the best of what I have. I'm going to make sure that when you are doing something, I'm going to be there to rally you on. And let me tell you, this is reciprocal. Reciprocal. Okay? It takes two ways. Right? I can give and give and give. But I need you to give back. And when you're in a community, there are some of you sitting in this room that come every day, every Sunday, and you say, nobody's talking to me. I want to ask you, have you talked to somebody? And maybe you have. And I just want to encourage you, do it again. Find a different way to connect with community. I'm going to tell you my story at this church. We started here um, like 11 years ago, and we lived uh, off Bradshaw. Okay, that's like an hour away sometimes on Wednesday nights. And so, but we loved this church. We knew we wanted to come here. And then we were traveling half the month because of work. And so we would come two out of four Sundays. One time somebody even asked me if I was still saved because they hadn't seen me in a while. <laughs> Don't do that, by the way. Don't ask people if they're still saved. So... My husband is 150% extrovert. He knows every neighbor in a five-mile radius, okay? I am not so much that way. It takes me a little bit to get to know people. And so for the first five years, I really struggled. I had new, brand, ba brand new babies, and it was hard to get to know people. But I knew, okay, I probably am not trying the hardest. And so when we decided to stop traveling and, and start staying in Sacramento full-time, we said, you know what, we got to move to Natomas. Now, i got to tell you guys, um, Natomas wasn't where we wanted to live. Because if you've lived in Sacramento for a while, you know that Natomas is flood zone. Right? And so we were like, we will never move to Natomas. All you people in Natomas, why do you even live in the flood zone, right? And so when we started looking for places closer, the Lord, you know what he does. Every time you say never, he's going to do it, right? <laughs> so we moved to Natomas and... Um, we said, you know, we want to open up our house, just make it available for people to come and use for whatever they need. And so what happened was we opened up our house, and a, a small group started, a young adult small group. And we had that small group for five years. 
okay? We had upwards of 40 to 50 people sometimes in our house, in our tiny little house, cramming in there. But I'm going to tell you, we loved it. And we got to know so many people. Now, I'm not saying you have to do a small group for four years every Thursday night, okay? But I am saying you've got to put yourself out there and connect with others because I guarantee you, you will go through adversity and you need somebody to celebrate with you. You need somebody to get in that pit with you, okay? And I'm going to tell you, there are some people in this room, when I was at the lowest of my low, when I felt like there was no way out, if Desiree and Chelsea and James, if you guys could stand, they, don't, they didn't know I was going to do this. These people right here, they sat with me in the pit. They didn't let me, you guys can sit down. They didn't let me just stay where I was at. They encouraged me. They celebrated with me. They did what they could. These are true friends. Find true friends. And then as we become a bigger, better community, we're at, we have a great community here, we will become a more resilient body of Christ, Okay? Because together, we can do a lot of things that one person can't, right? And I want to ask you, um, at just as people can be resilient, um, the church can be resilient, but I, we need to ask ourselves all the time, church, are we being resilient or are we being stubborn? Okay? Are we just stubbornly coming here every Sunday so that we can be a church in Natomas that does the best? Are we resilient and adapting to adversity. We all together need to be asking each other that question. Are we adapting and bouncing back in our adversity? Okay, number three, and this is openness. We grow in strength as we give with an open hand. Uh, when I first started preparing this message, I read through the story of Joseph several times just to try to, you know, gauge what I wanted to do. And I have to tell you, one of the biggest things that I was impacted up by was Joseph's openness. See, before he was even threw, thrown into the cistern, um, he had to go find his brothers in the countryside. He actually had to search for them because he wanted to honor his father. He gave. He served Potiphar well. He gave. He served in prison well. He was open. He served farewell. He stayed open. And then when Joseph's brothers came back to ask for food, he gave. He was reconciled to them and served them well. Joseph gave and gave and gave even when he was at his very lowest. The question is, how did he do this? I asked myself that. I'm telling you, I was reading the scripture just going, God, I don't even know if I could do that. Number one, I believe the way that he did that was that he trusted God with his deepest emotions. When you trust God with your emotions, and see, here's the thing. Um, God is not afraid of any emotions that you have, okay? Because God created all the emotions. He knows them better than you ever could. And so when you have a big emotion, give it to God. He is ready for it, okay? Don't be afraid that God is going to be somehow um, surprised by how mad or, or scared you are. He's, he knows it. God is the author of emotions, and a big part of resilience is a level of our emotional health. If we can't be emotionally healthy, we will not withstand the throes of adversity. We will simply live life being stubborn. Because stubbornness doesn't make you, you can live stubbornly without emotion, okay? And so we have to uh, remain open to all the emotions that we have. Now, in the church, this is something that's changing right now. But in the church, a stereotype is that Christians are stoic. We are strong. We survive. We, don't, are, we never get sad. We never become afraid. I am going to help you because I am a Christian. And God has given me the ability to have strong, solid emotions. And so if you need anything, you can come to me because I will have all the answers. That is the farthest from the truth, okay? We have a lot of traumatic 
emotions in the church, sometimes created by the church. And no matter how bad that is, we need to give that back to God. And Joseph did this. You read several times. Joseph, when he found, saw his brothers, you see, you see him say, he stepped out to cry it out. He just like had a big cried out session with the Lord. He just like stepped out, hold on a second, got it all out, made sure that he was good with God. He expressed all his emotions. Um, and then he was able to come back and be strong. But if we can't express that emotion, and if you have trouble with that, just read Psalms, okay? David, who wrote most of Psalms, he was one of the most emotional people I've ever seen in my life, okay? So just get to the Psalms and start reading those. And you will see, you will start to read about these emotions and how God um, started to talk to him about that. And when we have emotional health, we have fullness. We have all the things that we need to have. So the second thing about remaining open is that we have to resist offense. Okay? We live in one of the most offendable times ever. Okay? I did not go on Facebook this week because I didn't want to be offended, okay, before I came and talked to you guys. And so um, a couple years ago, uh, when we had young children, they had diapers, okay, we had, we um, put the diapers in the trash, obviously, and so the trash was in the front, and it was going to be picked up, and I just happened to look outside for a second, and there was a man who would pick trash in our neighbor, and we kind of knew that he was there, and so... um, I, I saw him taking out trash, and so he opened up the dumpster, or our trash thing, and he was, like, kind of digging through it, and then he goes, oh, and he slammed it. And he was like, oh, that stinks. Like, he's mad at me. You're offended at me for digging through my poopy trash? I'm sorry. Um, and then I'm offended at him. See what happens? He's offended at me, and then I get offended at him, and we're both offended at each other. We don't even know each other. This is what offense is like. It gets us so sidetracked from what the Lord really wants to do in adversity. Okay? And then sometimes we get stuck in our offense. We start to believe that offense is our right. Okay? I have a right to be offended because you just said that to me. Well, then you also have a right to be stuck in that offense for the rest of your life. And so you could decide to be in this world where everything is offense, but offense is the lie of the enemy to fill you up with what seems like righteous indignation. But instead, it's just closed-minded thinking. Offense will not leave you surrender to God. It will only make you search for more offense because you will never be happy. If you want to be offended for the rest of your life, then you better get on Facebook and stay on there all day long. And you know what happens is you don't feel too good about yourself. Because I've done this where, like, I I don't like what someone said. And so I'm, get on there. Well, I'm just going to tell them all this. And then I sit back for a second, delete. Right? How many of you guys do that over and over again? Because I would never want my offense to offend somebody else. And you know what? I don't want offense to control me. Joseph, if there's anybody had a right to be offended, his brothers threw him away. But Joseph decided to remain open and free of offense. You will be more able to see the opportunity in front of you when you are not clouded by that offense. And see, Joseph, if he would have remained offended, he probably wouldn't have been a good slave. He probably wouldn't have rose to the most highest position in the land. When you remain open and unoffended, which isn't a word, when you remain open and unoffended, God will open your eyes to see all that he has for you. Okay, finally, with a hope-filled perspective, we know that our hardship will be used to save others. That one of my favorite lines in this whole thing is that, 19, Genesis 50:19 says, "But Joseph replied, "Do not be afraid of me. I am God. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I, so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children." So he reassured them by speaking to them. Your hardship has purpose. And that is to help save other people. 
Okay, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are in trouble, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer in Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that you share in our sufferings. We will also share in the comfort God gives us. Seriously, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because I know when I am going through something, the Lord is going to bring me somebody that's going through the same exact thing. And I have experienced this over and over again. And it to almost a surprising degree. Like somebody will come, come to me and they'll start saying something and I'll just laugh. Because I'm like, okay, God, you're, you, you know it. Like, you are right. You are faithful. You are going to do this. And so when we go through our adversity, one of the biggest purposes is that God will use you to save others. Why? Because you are a conqueror. Because there is nothing that you need to be afraid of. Because you have walked through this valley before, and you're going to help somebody do the exact same thing. And when you do, you're going to lead them to Christ, who is supreme. Okay, so finally, I want to finish with this. I gave you the three O's. That is opportunity, others, and openness. There is one four-letter F word. Pastor Dean did that last week, so I can do it this week. Um, There is one four-letter F word that will keep you back in your resilience, and that is fear. I just love when Pastor Garnisha's worship lines up with the message. Isn't God so good? Joseph did not fear giving because he had been to the lowest place and God was still there. See, fear is a liar. Fear will try to keep your hands closed. You won't want to give because you'll be fooled to think that what you have is the end. He will tell you, be afraid. Because after you get out of this, there is nothing else for you. Fear will start to tell you lies. He will say, God is not good. God is not faithful. God can't get you out of this. This is too big for him. But fear is a liar. And we know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? God does not lead us in fearful places where we, can, where we won't survive. He leads us to places of power and might and goodness and peace. See, there are three kinds of people on that line of sorrow, okay? There is the ones that are Joseph in the beginning, where his life was perfect. It was roses and peaches, and everything was awesome. And then there are those that are on the other side of that sorrow. They are in the burned char of their lives. And all they can do is look back to the other side and say, why can't I be over there? All they can do is be afraid to be, to rebuild. See, fear has gripped them into believing that where they are, where they are is more secure than rebuilding what they, what they need, okay? The third kind of person who is, is the person that is going to rebuild in their adversity. And there are people today that are rebuilding in those fires. And they're doing it because they have resilience, because they can bounce back. One of the best parts of the story, a little, uh, little um, nugget that was in Joseph, was before his brothers came back, there's a line that says, it's in Genesis 41, 51, it says, Joseph named the firstborn, his firstborn son, Manasseh, causing to forget. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and hardship and all the sorrow of the loss of my father's household. He named the second son, Ephraim, fruitfulness, for God has caused me to be fruitful and very successful in my land of suffering. Now check this out. That was before his brothers even came back. Now, Joseph did not forget his brothers because we know that he remembered them when he came, when his brothers came. But he forgot the suffering and the sorrow. See, that is the promise of God for you today. You will be in suffering and you will be in sorrow. But if you follow God and you believe that he has all the good things for you, 
you will begin to forget all the sorrow that you went through. And what is in your mind is all the goodness and the gloriousness of Christ. And you will start to believe that God has things for you in the future that is not just about now, but he's going to use you to save others just like he's saving you now. He's going to send people to journey with you in this journey. And then you will be able to name your sons the fruitfulness of what you're doing. Manasseh. You will be able to name your things that you birth what God has done for you. So I want to pray for you today. Um, And I have a couple points of action. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness, God, that you don't just let us go. Lord, that you are faithful. If there is anybody in this room and you feel like maybe you have resilience or maybe you're stubborn, but you don't know Christ and you want that everlasting well of strength and goodness, if that is you, I would just ask you real quick to go ahead and raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Okay, good. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for you real quick. God, I pray for these people that have raised their hand. I pray that your spirit would be implanted in them. God, that this would be a moment that changes the rest of their life. God, that they would begin to build on their adversity. Lord, that you would help them to see all the goodness that you have for them. Thank you, God, that you um, are always with us. I pray, Lord, that they would begin a journey of loving and following you. Okay, next, we can open our eyes. I want to ask if there's anybody in this room that is just being stubborn. Maybe you've been told that you are resilient. Maybe people have commented, man, you are like the strongest person I know. But actually, you've just been real stubborn. I commend you for that stubbornness. However, I believe that God has something more for you. He wants you to bounce back, not just stay in the depths of your adversity. So if that is you, I want you to be brave. I want you not to have fear. I want you to stand up right now and ask God, please, would you make me open? If that is you and you've just been stubborn, go ahead and stand right now. Thank you. Thank you for being brave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I believe God is going to honor your openness right now. And let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray for these people that have been stubborn. God, I ask that you would begin to uh, make their hearts soft, God. I ask that they would give to you all of their emotion, God, all of their pain, Lord, all the things they've ever been struggling with, God, and that you would begin just to speak to them in their softness, God, in their openness, Lord, that you would show them things that they've never seen, God. Lord, I pray that they would see you in that pit and trust that you are there, God. We just pray, Lord, that you would begin to work in them all your good works, God, everything you've ever promised them. We thank you for all these things, Lord. Amen. Amen. My third and last is for those that maybe you're on um, the good side right now, or maybe you've been through adversity and you've rebuilt, and you are willing to stand with others in their adversity. You are willing to be a resilient church. If that is you today, and you are saying, yes, God, I want to use my hardship to save others, because that is what I believe.